had to give encouragement. I want to uh, give a definition of discouragement because you need to know if you need encouragement. Someone said one time, nobody is over-encouraged. And I, I read that a few weeks ago on Twitter. I thought, that's interesting. Never heard that. Nobody is over-encouraged. Encouragement leaks, doesn't it? And uh, it can leak in an hour. And we become easily discouraged. Discouragement means to lose confidence, to lose hope, to lose enthusiasm, to be disheartened. Uh, maybe you came in this morning and your hope meter is down. Uh, you're not very enthusiastic. You've lost confidence, and uh, you don't have heart about even the work of God and what He has called you to do. Well, I believe, and I'll show you why in a moment, that one of the primary tasks of a pastor is to encourage the people. That's a biblical thought. I would even use the phrase to inspire His people. Now, that doesn't mean uh, He is a cheerleader. Or to rah-rah, just some empty motivational phrases. But the Bible teaches that a pastor, one of his tasks, not the only task, is to encourage the people that God has given to his trust. And the reason that I know that is, is many times the word exhort is used of a pastor. Now he's to do other things, but in his teaching and his preaching and in his discipleship, he is to exhort the people. And that includes uh, the ministry of the Word of God. That's the way that he inspires. That's the way he exhorts people is with the Word of God. Not just empty cliches. Not with maybe a, a charismatic, sanguine personality because you enjoy his humor. And uh, because he, he has a dynamic uh, persona. But he's able to inspire you with the God of the Bible. When I think about this, I think about, uh, of course, Paul, but also think about Barnabas, who was one of the greatest encouragers in the Word of God. Barnabas went to Antioch, and uh, he taught them the Bible, but in teaching them the Bible, he inspired them, he encouraged them. Let me show you a scripture. We'll look in 2 Corinthians in a moment. But in Acts chapter 11 and verse 23, it speaks about Barnabas. Notice this. Who when Barnabas, the he there is Barnabas, who when Barnabas came, that is, he came to Antioch, and had seen the grace of God, what God had done in their hearts, he was glad, now watch this, and he exhorted them all. That is, the people to whom he preached. And he did that with the word of God. He encouraged them. He charged them. Uh, I would even say he motivated them with the truth of God. That with purpose of heart, they would cleave unto the Lord. Now, what was the end purpose of his encouragement? That they would stay true to the task. Now, remember, what I'm talking about is why people fail to invest in eternity. And until you learn how to deal with your problems and handle your adversity, you're going to stop at some time and not do what you used to do. Some of you are not doing what God called you to do or what you used to do. Because something happened to dissuade you. Something knocked you off of your stride. And here's Barnabas exhorting this great church, the church in Antioch, that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. 
And, and that's what I want to do this morning and, and hopefully tonight and next week uh, through the instruction and the integrity of the Word of God. Now, that's one of the reasons you come to church. You come to church not just to hear the teaching of the Bible and the preaching of the Bible to, to be exhorted to, but you also come to church to exhort one another. It's not just a pastor's job to be the exhorter. He ought to be a model exhorter, and he ought to handle the Word of God accurately. But at the same time, you need to learn how to exhort people, how to encourage people. Can you imagine how, how strong a church would be? Remember the story about, about the dog that brought the newspaper, and then the owner uh, encouraged him, if you will, and he brought back more? Can you imagine what would happen to a church if the pastor encouraged those that came and the people encouraged one another? Listen, people flock to encouragement. Now, you know this verse, and we've used it often here, but look at this in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. Uh, If you know the book of Hebrews, they were in a trial, and again, they, they were slacking off. And the writer says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. I believe he's talking about the local assembly there. He says, don't don't forsake that. Don't leave off attending the assembly as the manner of some is. Some people do that. They're not faithful to the assembly. Need to assemble together. But when you assemble, exhorting one another. Now, I've taught on this through the years, but this is not just um, exhorting. Hi, how are you? That's not an exhortation. Maybe that's kind of the front porch that's warming up to it. But it's exhorting one another. another. Exhortation is personal. It's customized. Uh, you You may only exhort three or four people at church. And if it's a great need, you may only exhort one person. But that's okay. In fact, if everybody does that, we would meet huge amounts of needs. Exhorting one another, that's what we're here for. Look at this. And so much the more. Do you see that? So much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, what does that mean? So much the more as you see the day of Christ, the day of the second coming approaching. You know why? Because as the end times approach, we're going to have cause. We don't need to give in to it, but we're going to have cause to be more discouraged. The enemy is fighting us. A lot of things are happening. And it's easier to get discouraged. And he says, so much the more. And I'll put a caveat in here. So much more to attend church. We don't need less church. We need more gatherings. Now, something ought to happen at those gatherings. I think that sometimes people are cutting back on services because people don't come. I think the problem is not they have too much church. The problem is what's happening in the church. That's what's happening. Because what happens is people don't have the appetite for it. Or the people are not giving encouragement. They're they're sitting, sour, sitting, soaking, and souring. But they're not exhorting one another. And so much the more. We need more of this. And you need more of this. I need more of this. So the point being, discouragement causes people to drop out. They drop out of ministry. The things they used to do. The things they were called to do. 
You know, I used to sing in the choir, but I don't anymore. And if you were to kind of dig underneath, you would find out that, that they get tired or someone hurt their feelings. You know, I used to work in the nursery, but I paid my dues there. That's time for the younger people. Uh, you mean, you mean the, the lady that has a baby that stayed up all night all week? It's her turn? Really? Really? So you, you paid your dues, so you can't, you can't help someone else? I remember my mom told me, she told me more than one time, she came to Melinda and she said, Melinda, I'm going to need to stop working in the nursery. You know why? She said, I'm 80 years old and I'm afraid it's dangerous. And that's different. She never said, I paid my dues. Now, I'm, not, I'm not putting her up for sainthood other than she never said, well, I paid my dues. She went the second mile. You think my mom never got hurt? You think the people that are involved in doing what you used to do and seeing and serving and teaching and ushering and cleaning and all the things that going in a ministry, that they were never disappointed or someone forgot to mention their name? You think, you think that never happened? Of course it did. It's, it's part of life. It's part of our fallen nature. We hurt each other. We disappoint each other. One day we will give an account for that at the judgment seat. But we will also give an account for being, can I use this word, so petty? That we can look at the Christ on Calvary's cross, beaten and bruised and crucified for us. And say, well, I'll let you do that. But you know, somebody just hurt my feelings, so I'm not going to church anymore. Or I'm not going to be involved. I'm just going to sit over here and and cross my arms and I'll criticize other people that aren't doing it like I would do it. And if you think I'm upset about something, I'm not. I'm not upset at any individual. I promise I'm not. But I am am upset about the concept sometimes that, that we're not finishing what we started because of these petty issues. And I'm trying to motivate you, trying to inspire you because one day you're going to stand before Jesus And I'm going to give an account, and if you're a Christian, so are you. Discouragement comes when your expectations aren't met. Sometimes our expectations are are not true. They're they're not real. Sometimes we want in the short term what takes a long time to come about. Before God does a work through you, He does a work in you. Whenever I sense uh, someone that has a whole lot of zeal and they want to do a job for God and things aren't going fast enough and they keep wanting to push the envelope, I'll gently teach them this. And here's what's interesting. They usually don't have ears for it. They, they don't get it. And maybe it's because I'm older and I've kind of been through the ringer. And the truth is I'm still learning this, but I do understand the principle. I know it and I appreciate it in my life, but, but they're not getting it. I want to go do something for God. I want to do something big for God. I want to be something. And what I'm hearing is, I want to be well known. I want people to appreciate me. And it really is it's about me. And I'll go back to what I just said. I'll say, listen, before God does something through you, He must do something in you. 
And that means that God took Moses 40 years. And really Moses' usefulness was only one-third of his life. For 80 years he prepared him for 40 years of work. He set Paul aside for three years with no notoriety. He felt like a failure. God was teaching him, but there was no visible ministry. Consider Joseph. I could go on. Others who, who, who he put in this place of obscurity, of this place where God was doing a work in them. He was working on them. So when they came forth, as Job said, they came forth as gold. And then they were able to offer a sacrifice. So you may be kind of in that middle where maybe God, God's doing something on me, but I don't like it. Before God will do a work through you, he must do a work in you. So some of you <clears throat> moms, they have little children. Uh, it seems like it's never going to end. It's, it's going to end. You'll be sad. I was watching my, my grandson up in Chattanooga um, on Friday, and he was playing. And uh, John and Ani and Paula and I was kind of at a distance watching. I thought about that song that Stephen A. Chapman sang called Goodnight Kiss. You ought to look it up on the internet. Uh, it'll come right up for you. It's called Goodnight Kiss. And how that those days of when they come and say, Mommy, come and comb my hair. Daddy, throw me high in the air. Daddy, come play with me. Mama, rub my back. And then I go in and give them a good night kiss. Those days go fast. And uh, I send the kids songs and so forth. I said, you know, uh, John and Ani, when I was watching Justice play, he's three years old, I I thought about that song, Good Night Kiss. And how fast, how fast these days go. Wherever you're at, be willing to slow down and appreciate not just the people, but the work and the God of the work that he's doing in you. It's a precious thing. It's a precious thing. So, so listen, when things aren't going your way, you begin to get discouraged. And I understand. Believe me, I understand. I've been there. But if, if discouragement isn't dealt with, I'm going to talk to you about that in a moment. Over time, discouragement becomes depression. If you do not deal with depression, then depression leads to desperation. Now, this this is a serious condition here. Because that's the idea of there's no hope. And then this usually doesn't have a long shelf life. Because after desperation, there's death. And if it's not suicide, it, it is a death due to health. Because of anxiety because of a heart issue or something else but that is a that is a deadly cycle that people see not just in the world but in the church and that's why people need encouragement they need motivation they need help now I want you to look at Paul's suffering here in the text and then we're going to hopefully give you uh, one idea this morning I just want to leave with you but look at how Paul suffered. Second Corinthians chapter four. Look at verse eight. Second Corinthians four eight. I'm just going to highlight four words and then four other words. 
Look what he says here. We are troubled on every side. We are perplexed. We are persecuted. We are cast down. Notice his condition. Now that may be from different trials. It may be from the same trial. I think it was from different ones. But he said, church at Corinth, here's stuff I've been through. I've been troubled. I've been perplexed. I've been persecuted. I've been cast down. Now real quick, let let me show you what these words mean. He said, we are troubled. That means to be afflicted. An affliction that is painful and the the suffering is so deep that there's nowhere to go, humanly speaking. This is not just, well, I'm having a little trouble. This is an affliction that you come to the place and say, nobody can help me. It may be physical. It may be emotional. Nobody can help me. That's what Paul said. Then he said, we are perplexed. Again, this, this means there's no way out. I've gone to every doctor. I've gone to every bank. I've gone to every counselor. There's no solution. And as a result, I've overwhelmed by confusion, discouragement, and doubt. Everything is a dead end. And so, again, you see that cycle of discouragement and depression. And then he said, we're persecuted. The word literally means to flee from being pursued. Someone's chasing after me. Has the idea of being hunted down. Isn't it interesting that Paul persecuted Christians and now people are, are persecuting him. They're hunting him down to kill him. The very thing that he did has come about that's being done to him. Being persecuted. We are cast down and the word literally means thrown down. Now, that may be figurative speech or literal speech. It may be both. I know he was stoned there in the book of Acts where they literally took rocks. I believe he died in that, de- in that time. Because in 2 Corinthians 12, he, he said, I went to the third heaven. I believe that it was in that moment. He said, we've been cast down. Have you ever said this? Well, I'm really down right now. That's kind of a figurative meaning. Some of you haven't been physically cast down, but you've been figuratively cast down. I'm really down right now. I'm in a low place. Just in a low place. These, these are serious words. But I want you to notice the response of Paul to these times. Because this is, all, listen, this all happens right here. This is, this is where the battle is. It's right here. Look at it, verse 8. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. I've got all of these issues, these afflictions, they're painful. No person can help me, but I'm not distressed. The word distress means to be without options. You know, when you don't have options, it's a lonely place when there's no resolution. Sometimes you, it's hard to talk to your spouse about it. I, I've been at places where I, I don't want to talk to Paula. I know you're supposed to share things with your spouse. But as a man, I don't want to tell her when I'm weak or when I'm struggling. I understand what that means. Yet not distressed. You get to that place. But Paul said, I'm not distressed. 
As I was thinking about that, I said, well, why, why was he able to do that? Because of the Lord. Because he didn't think about, he didn't think about his trouble. He thought about his God. God's name is I Am. And Paul said, I'm never without help from the great I Am. Whatever I need, He is. He's with me. I read this morning in Psalm 61 where he, <laughs> David said, Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Uh, he, he's my refuge. Where, wherever I am, there's a rock higher than I am. It's a solid refuge. What a good truth. Again, in verse 8, he said, We are perplexed. But not in despair. The word despair means hopeless, despondent. But I'm not hopeless. Romans 15, 13 calls God a God of hope. There's always hope. This is not some empty cheer. You know, keep the faith. That's not going to help you. But God is a God of hope. Listen to me carefully. God never discourages anybody. God never discourages His children. He is a God of hope. Look at verse 9. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. The word forsaken means deserted. Ever feel like that again? Just, and all of these have the same idea. I'm alone. I'm abandoned. Again, Paul was thinking about his God. I believe he wrote these words about his God in the book of Hebrews. We don't know that he wrote it, but I think he did. Hebrews 13, 5. The Bible says, He will never leave me nor forsake me. He will never forsake me. He will never desert me. And then again in verse 9, We are cast down but not destroyed. The word destroyed means complete destruction. I can never be destroyed. Romans 8, the end of the chapter tells us that. He's Almighty God. He created the universe. And because of these, these things, <coughs> you gave me your cough over there. You came over here. I'll tell you a funny story. I was in the hospital Thursday for, for a test. It wasn't anything serious. So the nurse is going through all this stuff. She says, do you smoke? No. She said, do you drink? No. I said, my music director does, but I don't. <laughs> she said... She said, have you been out of the country? I said, no. She's back. I said, wait. I said, I was in China 10 days ago, but I got back and then went on. She stepped back. She said, I'm going to put you in isolation. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So Paul was able to, to come out of this because he knew his God. And that's the only way you're going to be able to be delivered from, from discouragement, depression, and from these to get out of the cycle, because listen, the battle's up here, but it's not just willing yourself up. You can't pull yourself up by your mental bootstraps. Paul finished. Second Corinthians chapter four and verse eight. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. Do you see that? He's about to die. These are his last words. I finished my course. Wouldn't you like to say that? I finished my course. I kept the faith. Lord, I was faithful. He had a hard life. I did what you wanted me to do. God, you called me to sing. I finished the course. You called me to teach. I finished the course. You called me to children's ministry. I finished the course. You called me to help 
teenagers, I finished the course. You called me to serve in this ministry in the church, and I finished the course. I wasn't a bench warmer. Some of you, listen, I'm not demeaning your pain or your hurts. God knows I'm not. But I'm trying to stir you up. One day you're going to stand before Jesus, and you're not going to point at the person. The church won't stand there with you. You're going to be there by yourself. Young people, your parents aren't going to be there. You're going to be there by yourself. And you're going to have to give a word as to why. The Lord already knows, but you're going to have to give a word about why you didn't serve Him. Well, I just didn't like that person. That's not enough. Well, there was this one time this. Really, you're going to bring that to the Lord? Paul said in Acts chapter 20 and verse 24, None of these things move me. Pay attention to that. I I didn't let these things interfere me finishing. Neither count I my life dear unto myself so that, watch this, so that I might finish my course with joy, not with drudgery or, or, or I held grudges against people or with a stiff upper lip. I had joy in this. And I finished the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus. Discouragement begins in the mind. Emotions Your emotions, good or bad, are a result of what you think. Your mind is is very powerful. Joshua sent out uh, 12 spies into the promised land to to spy it. God had given it to them. Remember the story? Ten of them came back and they came with an evil report. Numbers 32.9. The Bible says of them, For when they went up to the valley of Eskel and saw the land... They, the ten spies that had the evil report, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel that they should not go into the land which the Lord had given them. So, and watch this, it was, it was two that had faith, ten that didn't. And I want you to understand something, the majority was wrong. The majority was wrong. And they had influence... And, and they didn't go. Now, how did this work? How, how did this discouragement work? It tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 28. Whither shall we go up? Or how shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our heart. Now, look at the next word, saying. They discouraged them by what they said. The people is greater, taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. Moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakims there. And you know, if someone else doesn't discourage you by what they say, you discourage yourself by what you say to yourself. You talk to yourself. You talk yourself into discouragement, into depression. And God said this was an evil report. You know what an evil report is? It's leaving God out. It's unbelief. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12. The Bible says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you, if there be in any of you, an evil heart of unbelief. God says that's an evil thing. Because it affects your perspective. It affects everything about you. So here's, here's the main idea. A wrong response to personal problems will keep you from God's best. Every time. 
When you have a problem, if you respond, respond to it wrongly, you will not enjoy God's best. I know that uh, some of you enjoy using other things besides your Bible. But, uh, and I don't mind you taking notes on your phone, but please don't look at your phone while I'm preaching, if you would. I'm talking to one person. I'm not talking to all of you. Some of you are very diligent at taking notes. That's fine. Everybody's looking at me like, is it me? No. Some of you are doing it. But someone's been looking at the phone the whole service. And I can tell you're texting or you're surfing the net. Have you ever heard of Ronald Wayne? Ronald Wayne. Anybody ever heard of Ronald Wayne? Let me tell you about Ronald Wayne. Ronald Wayne joined Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs, who were 21 and 25 at the time, to, for, to provide the company with adult supervision and to oversee mechanical engineering and documentation in exchange for a 10% stake in the business. On April the 1st, 1976, Ronald Wayne sat down at his typewriter, drew up an agreement outlining each man's responsibilities, making his role with Apple official. He also drew the company's first logo which was used for less than a year before being replaced by the symbol associated with the company today. Wayne rapidly grew concerned that any debts incurred by the business would fall on him personally. Steve Jobs had taken out a $15,000 loan so he could buy supplies to fulfill Apple's first contract with a Bay Area computer store called the Byte Shop, B-Y-T-E. Those of you in computers know what that is. This shop had ordered 100 computers, but the Byte Shop was known for failing to pay its bills, and Wayne worried that Apple wouldn't be able to recoup the money. While both Jobs and Wozniak were young and broke, Wayne had assets, including a house, and feared that the financial burden would fall on him if the deal went south. So after spending a mere 12 days with Wozniak and Jobs, Ronald Wayne had his name taken off the contract and sold his shares to his co-founders for $800. Ronald Wayne's decision to leave the startup cost him big. Today, his 10% stake in Apple would be worth more than $95 billion. B. $95 billion. That kind of a fortune would make him one of the richest people in the world. Now, there are some things that are worth more than money. And we hear that because we think about, wow, that'd be a good deal. There are some things that when you stand before Jesus in terms of reward so that you can give them to Jesus, some of us will be paupers. Because we, we didn't invest properly. Oh, that, that's going to cost too much, huh? I'm not going to do that. A wrong response to personal problems will keep you from God's best. Responding to your trial in a wrong way will hurt you. And all of these responses occur in your mind before it's seen in your actions. Now, what are the indicators for this? First of all, and again, it's in your mind. First of all, we think... We think that our problems are too heavy. In fact, we think our problems are heavier than other people, and they may be. 
But we think, well, my problems are bigger than other people's problems. Notice in verse 17 of chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4, 17. For our light affliction, for our light affliction. The word affliction there means a pressure or a burden that brings anguish. It's the idea of severe trouble. Now remember we just read about some of Paul's afflictions and he's including our affliction too. Yours may be, not be like Paul's. It may be emotional, it may be job-wise, it may be in the home, it may be physical. It may be uh, a spiritual warfare, it may be something. But you have this affliction and, and you're having this trouble. And here's what happens is you say, this, this is too much. This is just too much for me to be able to carry. It's too heavy. Now, there's one thing that everybody in here has in common. You know what it is? It's trouble. Uh, everybody has trouble. God knows I try. I, I try to guard um, talking about my trouble. Because the person I'm talking to has trouble. Every person in here has trouble. I read a story about uh, George W. Truett, who on a hunting trip killed his best friend. He shot him in a hunting accident. He, and his daughter said after, after that accident, his, this is sad, she said, I never heard my daddy laugh again. And that's sad. And some of you say, well, that's not right. He's depriving his family. I would back up and say, no, it's probably not right, but you have not sat in his shoes or stood in his shoes. You haven't sat in his seat. It's so easy just to say, well, you shouldn't do that. No, I shouldn't, but I did. He shot his best friend in an accident. He, he had a daily radio broadcast, and he closed it with this sign-off every day, even after the accident. And remember, be kind to everybody because everybody's having a tough time. That's how he closed it. We had a broadcast at our church for a couple of years, and that's how I closed our broadcast. And remember, be kind to everybody. Because everybody you meet is having a tough time. And that's true. The Bible says in the book of Job, chapter 5 and verse 7, Yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. You know why you have sparks? Because there's an opposing conflict and the sparks fly. It may be with a person. It may be with your own self because you don't like the things that are happening. But you're going to have problems. The devil's going to come to you and say, well, you know, your problems are worse than anybody else's. No, they're not. I'm not saying they don't hurt. Because when you're in the throes of emotional or physical pain, it still hurts. And I've taught you before, comparison doesn't help you. Me, when you're hurting and somebody comes along and says, well, let me tell you somebody who, who has it worse. I mean, you've got a kidney stone and you're, you're you know, rolling on the floor. Well, I know somebody that had two. You just want to smack them, don't you? Just get thee behind me, Satan, you know. So that, that comparison stuff doesn't help. Don't do that to people. And don't quote Job 5, 7 to them either. Man is born into trouble as the kidney stones fly upward. That's not going to work. 
John 16, 33, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me, Jesus said, you might have peace. Isn't that good? In me. In the world ye shall, ye shall have tribulation. The word tribulation is the same word in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, affliction. Ye shall have pressures, burdens, anguishes, severe trials. Because of our fallen world, that's going to happen. Your kids are going to go through that. Acts chapter 14 and verse 22, Paul and Silas were preaching at Antioch. And they were confirming the souls of the disciples, strengthening them and exhorting them. They were preaching. What were they exhorting them to? To continue. They were motivating them. They they were inspiring them. That we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. They were going through trials. No, he said, everybody goes through this. And they were motivating them. Paul was sharing the life as an apostle, as his life, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 4, in all things approving ourselves as a ministers of God, in much patience or endurance, in afflictions, afflictions, in necessities, in distresses. You cannot avoid problems in this life. The person you're looking at that has joy, they have problems. Well, I wish I wish I had their marriage. They have problems. I wish I had his job. Every job has an ugly part to it. They have people that are hard to work with. Every marriage has difficult parts. Every family has conflicts. Life is tough. John Wayne said it. Life is hard, but it's harder when you're stupid. You, you can kind of reduce the... You know, the quality there, but it's still tough. Our problems come because of the fact that we're Christians. Matthew thirteen twenty one. Yet hath he not root in himself when the word of God is given, but dureth or endureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, because you're going to stand by the word of God, and by and by he is offended. Well, that hurt. I'm associated with Jesus in the Bible. So there were a lot of affliction there. I'm, I'm just kind of kind of slip away from this. I don't want to be offended anymore. Acts chapter 11 and verse 19 says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution. Because they loved Jesus, people came after him. Are you watching some of the uh, ideas that people are throwing around for legislation? Now, I believe you ought to vote, but I think you you ought to learn to get a backbone and realize that, hey, what am I going to do when they come to me and they ask me those questions? Am I just going to get angry and say, well, you can't do this? What they did with Daniel, they did with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What if God does these things to purge the church like he has in China and Iran and these places where the church is thriving? Not just in number, but in holiness. I mean, there's two sides to this coin. We experience problems because of the fact that we're Christians. We experience problems because of the ebb and flow of life. Things happen to us just because we we have fallen bodies. We have broken bodies. Bad things happen to us. Let me show you one verse, James 1.27. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. To visit the fatherless and widows, look at this, 
in their affliction. Their affliction. That's the same word in 2 Corinthians 4, 17. Paul said, I have afflictions, pressures, burdens that are anguishing, severe troubles. And here he says in James 1, 27, people that are fatherless, people that are widows, they have afflictions. Now, this is not because they're Christians. This is because of their state in life, because of where they're at. There are other people that have some limiting circumstances because of their state in life. Philippians 1.27, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Now listen to me. I'm talking to you about investing. I'm almost finished. Don't, don't miss this. I'm talking to you about investing. Why some of you aren't investing. You're not sowing seed. Well, Brother Rick, I, I'm just tired. And uh, I've been disappointed. I don't feel good. And I'm, I really just came into the church to rest. The best sowing that you will ever do is during the time of your greatest burdens. I was talking to my, my son, John, um, Friday night. And I said, you know, John, respect is always gained on the ground of adversity. And so when you're going through a difficult time and you think you can't make it, your children and other people are watching you. And I said, you, you don't gain respect on the sunny days. You gain respect when it's tough. And that's when you feel like, I can't make it. But one day you will collect the benefits of endurance as a leader and as a father and even as a friend because people are entrusting to you and depositing their confidence in you because of what Jesus did in your life when you continued steadfastly through that time. The most important time to sow is during your times of your greatest burdens. Paul wrote the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 4, and he said, For out of much affliction, that's the same word, much affliction, burden, severe anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears. You see that? You see this man? Oh, boy, Paul, he, he was a fireball. I, I can't wait to, boy, Paul, he was a strong leader. Is that what that is? Sounds like a broken man to me. Paul Paul was talking about his love for these people. Loving people is costly. Often it's not reciprocated. Sometimes when people do wrong and and they don't don't love you back and, and there's a separation involved. And the affliction of carrying that relationship and, and you can't turn it off because your heart is there. Notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, look at verse 17 again. Paul didn't say for our affliction, did he? He said for our light affliction. Our light affliction. Now this is from God's perspective, eternity's perspective. The word light means easy to carry. Easy to carry. Now, right now, it's an affliction. And that's okay. But you've got to step back and get eternity's perspective and say, one day, that wasn't 
That wasn't that big of a deal. That wasn't that big of a deal. For our light affliction. What's keeping you from sowing seeds now that you will enjoy later? Whatever it is, it's not worth it. You, you be faithful. You be faithful. Just keep doing what you're supposed to do. Keep doing it. Stay involved in the music program. Be generous. Well, preacher, I, I can't tithe because we, you don't understand my checkbook. Probably better than you think. Maybe better than you think. Be faithful. Be faithful to the services in your lowest valleys. When you're in your most painful times, when it's the heaviest, is the most important time to sow. A wrong response to your problems will keep you from God's best. I ask you this morning, are, are your sufferings keeping you from investing your time, your energy, your resources because of the weight of your trial? You say, well, preacher, how, how, do I, how do I deal with this? Well, the secret's in verse 16. Would you look at it with me? 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. For which cause? What is the cause? Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. I'm not going to quit because of this ministry. God's given me mercy. Now verse 16. For which cause? We faint not. And here's why. But though our outward man, that's my physical body, perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. My trial, my physical problem, my emotional issue will deplete me. And every day, sometimes every moment of the day. But on the inside, you can still have youthful joy. But you have to renew that day by day. And I'll say this, sometimes even moment by moment, hour by hour. Every day, have a meaningful time alone with the Lord when you get a word from God. And keep the fire burning on the inside. And, and, And then the things on the outside, they will trouble you. But I can be faithful for these three hours. I can be faithful for this hour. I can be faithful for this four hours. And at the end of the day, you've been faithful. You pillow your head, you read some scripture, you get up the next morning, you read some scripture. And you live day by day, you just, you just walk in the grace of God, in the mercy of God, in the kindness of God. And then one day you wake up in heaven. And you finish well. Not because the road was easy. But because God was good. That's why. I was uh, serving in a church and I want my pastor to make a visit. And the man was dying. His name was Mr. Whitehead. They had brought a hospital bed. Hospice has been called and he was in the living room of his home there in the hospital bed. They didn't have room for it to put in his bedroom. And so we went in and 
visited with him and found out about his life, talked to him about Jesus, and he wasn't ready to be saved. We went the next week and visited with him. And we went several times. We began to watch him waste away a little bit. And I can't remember what visit we went, but the time came when he was ready to be saved. And that precious man, on his last legs of life, he trusted Christ as his Savior. It was wonderful. It's especially wonderful when you see somebody at the last hour get saved. And uh, we were rejoicing with him. And Mr. Whitehead looked up. He was gaunt. He'd lost a lot of weight. And he looked up. He said, I'd like to be baptized. And the pastor and I knew well, this is, he can't be baptized. He's, he's, just look at him. But none, neither one of us said that. We kind of bought time. You ever bought time? Well, we'll, we'll see what we can do. And I remember we got in the car and said, I, I don't know what to do. Do you know what to do? He, he saved, but what are we going to do? So we talked to one of the daughters there. She said, I have a wheelchair here. Well, can he fit in it? Yeah, I'll need some help. But he can fit in it. Man, our church had a van. He took the seats out in the back of the van. We brought several men over there on Sunday afternoon. And we secured him in that wheelchair. Rolled him out, lifted the wheelchair up, put it in the back of the van. I got down in the water with my pastor. And we rolled that man up in the baptistry. And then there were four or five men that, that lifted him up to the top. And then helped walk him down in his wheelchair, sitting in the wheelchair in the water. The pastor was at one end of the wheelchair and I was at the other to make sure he didn't fall out or slide out. And baptized Mr. Whitehead. And he died about two weeks later. I love that story, but there, there's something I don't like about it. Would you like to stand by him at the judgment seat? With your excuses? Well, Lord, I, I would have, but... Well, I wanted to, but Lord, you understand. And he looks at his son with the fresh nails in his hands. Nail prints. And here's Mr. Whitehead over there. No, I don't understand. I don't understand. Listen, you need to invest in eternity. And the weight of your trial, I have compassion. You want know to tell people something? Let us feel bad for you. We feel bad for you. We'll pray for you. We love you. But as best you can, sometimes you can't take a step. But just do what you can. Just do what you can. And God can compensate for the rest. Would you bow your head with me this morning?